every worker is entitled to go to work and return home. And unfortunately this year, 11 haven't. And that's a disgrace. And it's a sad indictment on this industry. Unions are concerned that the building and infrastructure boom is putting more pressure on businesses and that health and safety measures are falling by the wayside. There is a portion of uh, New Zealand businesses and New Zealand business owners that outright exploit their workers. They don't care about them, they don't look after them, and they don't take health and safety seriously. There's a lot of growth in the construction industry, which means accidents like this are happening all the time, you know. New Zealand kills four times as many workers as the UK and twice as many workers as Australia. We have this she'll be right attitude that we are willing to accept a level of harm that other countries just won't accept. I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, a look at our cavalier attitude to workplace safety in the wake of an horrific case involving a teenage boy who will never be the same again. The Nelson Marine Engineering Company has been ordered to pay $340,000 after a teenage apprentice suffered a brain injury at work. That teenager, 18-year-old Brooke Palmer, was using a volatile solvent to clean the engine bay of a large boat in July 2019 at Amex Limited, based at Port Nelson. He'd had no training on working with hazardous substances. WorkSafe CEO Phil Parks says they were called in to investigate. They'd asked a young apprentice to do some work on a boat to clean the engine using um, highly hazardous solvents and they hadn't taken proper precautions to keep the apprentice safe. So we investigated that incident where the employee, this young apprentice, had suffered really serious health consequences, and so we laid charges and prosecuted the company for not complying with its health and safety obligations. Two years later, Amex pleaded guilty in the Nelson District Court to the charges WorkSafe laid. The company was fined $275,000 and ordered to pay $50,000 emotional harm reparation and $15,000 in consequential losses. But that's not the end of the story. During our investigation into this particular incident, we became aware of um, allegations of another incident uh, similar that had happened previously. And at the time, the company uh, denied that there was any previous incident, so we weren't able to take it any further. My understanding of what's happened since then is that we have new information come to light that says actually there was information about a previous incident and that the people at the company had misled our investigators and lied to cover up a previous incident, which obviously we take very, very seriously. In what Phil Parks describes as a brazen decision, the business had destroyed key documents to cover up the previous similar incident. WorkSafe called in the police and Brooks' bosses, brothers Stephen and William Sullivan, were last month found guilty of attempting to pervert the course of justice. They'll be sentenced in July. Phil Parks says the breathing in of dust and fumes is one of WorkSafe's key areas for enforcement. There is about 750 to 950 fatalities every year in New Zealand from occupational disease. These are things like asbestos, like breathing in chemicals, and really that toll is utterly unacceptable. So 750 to 950 Kiwis every year being killed by this kind of thing. And in this situation, the company hadn't done what it was supposed to do and it didn't keep its workers safe. And did that make it sort of imperative to you that you got a result in this case? 
Yeah, look, we, we take action where uh, either there's a very high risk of injury or in this case where a really serious injury was occurred. And of course, it makes it worse that this was a young apprentice who was vulnerable in the workplace. And young workers are particularly vulnerable. Look, that's right. Uh, men tend to suffer more injury than women, and that's because of their profile. They tend to work in these high-risk industries, more manual labour, more construction, more forestry. And young workers in particular are vulnerable because they don't always have the self-confidence to uh, say that they don't want to do something if it's dangerous. Often they can be scared to speak up because they're on apprenticeships and they don't want to lose their job. And of course, there are other vulnerable communities like immigrants who don't have English as a first language who are also overrepresented in these statistics. So really the job here is for every business owner and every supervisor to not treat workers equally. Whether you're a new apprentice, whether you don't speak English as a first language, whether you're lacking confidence, it's really the obligation on the business to make sure that people are fully trained and looked after when they're at work so we don't have these tragic events. Because is there a balance? I mean, a lot of these companies would say there's there's too much regulation, there's too much attention paid to uh, health and safety. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, cases like this, I guess, prove otherwise. That's right. So I talked about 750 to 950 people being killed in New Zealand every year from occupational disease exposures. On top of that, there's another 80 to 100 being killed in acute injuries like falling off ladders. So overall, to put this into perspective, up to 1,000 Kiwi workers every year are being killed in the workplace. So anyone that says health and safety is about wrapping people in cotton wool or it's gone too far needs to look long and hard at those statistics because those are unacceptable statistics. Um, These people's families are suffering huge tragic loss from businesses not taking good care of their employees. They're actually astounding statistics. I mean, do they include people who suffer lung disease long term and die of lung cancer, that kind of thing, or are they strictly at-work industrial accidents? So 80 to 100 is at-work industrial accidents where the injury happens at the time. 750 to 950 is an estimate of those long-term consequences. So we know that breathing in chemicals, breathing in dusts, exposure to asbestos is killing hundreds and hundreds of Kiwis every year. And you're right, one of the problems with that is somebody would get exposed if they're 17 and they're 18 and they don't feel any immediately immediate consequences. 5, 10, 15 years later, they're suffering from cancer, they're suffering from strokes, they're suffering from heart disease. And we need to stop that because we are killing and harming far too many New Zealanders. In other words, she won't be right. That's exactly right. Um, The exposure happens early in teens and the harm happens later. And that means it's really hard for people to see the harm that's occurring. Many businesses do care about their employees, um, and some don't even know that they're exposing people to these harmful substances. But in this particular case, they knew exactly what they were doing, and they were reckless, and I'm glad they've been held to account. Yeah, getting back to Amex again, it was fairly obvious from the reporting on it that your investigators had an inkling there was something going on with this initial incident. Does WorkSafe have enough or strong enough powers to to get to the nub of those things? Yeah, look, I'm very confident with both the powers that we've got under our legislation and the excellent job that my investigators do. In this particular circumstances, they did everything correctly. But if uh, if a perpetrator deliberately destroys evidence, then uh, there's always a limit to what we can find 
in terms of our standard investigation. The good thing about this was uh, post the investigation, we did get new information which which um, was able to substantiate our inkling and then we were able to work with police to take action. So I'm very confident in the job we do and I think what this case shows is um, crime doesn't always pay. So these people took a chance, they destroyed evidence and they got caught. must have been galling when you heard the initial sentence to find that they'd got a 10% reduction for not having any previous incident. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the fine that the courts give out is up to them. So our job as WorkSafe is to um, try and prevent these things happening in the first place. Where we can't do that, we will hold people to account um, and then the court goes through its process. At the time, the court wouldn't have known about this other issue, but as you can see now through the police proceedings, the court will catch up with these and uh, we're waiting for sentencing for that process. Yeah, in Amex's case, they had a whistleblower. You know, they had a guy who was prepared to stand up and say, I just can't go along with this kind of behaviour. You know, he was told about it and he resigned straight away and went to the police. Do you get much of that? You know, also, you know, there were cases in the past where the victim's mother has gone to you. We do. We do get that. So, as I said before, it's not common across all New Zealand businesses. Many New Zealand businesses do a really good job of caring for their workers. But in those businesses where there is an active uh, will to not look after and exploit their workers, we often do get either the workers or their health and safety reps or their union reps or their whānau coming to us. And if anyone's listening today, I'd strongly encourage them to do that. If you don't think that your your family member or your workers are being treated well, if you think the company is not doing what it's supposed to, then you can go to our website and lodge a complaint and we will look into it. In the last few years, there's been a big push for more apprentices, particularly in the construction industry, which is a potentially dangerous industry to work in. Have there been other recent cases where apprentices, you know, terrible things have happened to them because of the slackness or the attitude of their bosses? Yes, we've had one fatality each year for the last three years in the construction industry. So we can't be sure whether they were apprentices, but we do know these were young, vulnerable workers. And we do know that construction is a dangerous industry, and we do know that they need to improve their performance. So uh, because the labour market is tight, because we are sponsoring more apprentices to go into trades, then that risk does grow. So the call out here is apprentices are not cheap low-value labour that can be put at risk. They're the future generation and companies who take apprentices on need to recognise that they have a responsibility to train them and look after them. Professor John Tukey specialises in construction management at AUT, the Auckland University of Technology. I asked him how we're preparing our youngsters for work in these dangerous industries. I would say broadly uh, not adequately enough. The reality is that we're dealing with a big, heavy uh, industry that uh, has a tendency to bite you very quickly when things go wrong. We tend to put an awful lot of emphasis on the ability of our young apprentices. We tend to assume that they have almost an immediate skill set and an immediate grasp from the beginning. And and unfortunately, the vast majority of companies who are dealing with uh, construction, they're usually very small companies who don't necessarily have the infrastructure necessary to be able to actually present a comprehensive training schedule of uh, health and safety uh, content, etc., in order to prep them for their work. So, so they get thrown at the deep end so quickly. And obviously, the tendency of particularly young men is to say, oh, yeah, I'll do, I could do that. No problem. I can do that. And of course, uh, that's where it all goes horribly wrong. 
generally it is young men, isn't it? I mean, they tend to be the characteristics of young men. Um, they lack in fear. They tend not to be as mature as women. They don't listen often very well. Is there, you know, a case for people who employ these kids to send them to a health and safety workshop for a couple of weeks first? It would certainly be a, a, a beneficial undertaking for sure. There's a lot of work that's uh, the BCITO and similar undertake in order to uh, provide an overview, but getting some form of continuity of and consistency, because don't get me wrong, there's some very good companies who do a great job of uh, inducting uh, youngsters into the into the trades, and that's great. Big firms tend to be mindful of the reputational risks of accidents in their workplaces and the social expectations of getting their employees home in one piece. But John Tukey says small firms are a different story. Let's say you're a, you're a, you've got a f- five guys, a couple of transit vans, and you take on an apprentice. Okay, who, who's going to be responsible for, for dealing with that, you know, looking after the uh, day-to-day skills training? Because it, what happens very quickly is that the individual concerned, uh, you know, the young tradie will get thrown into fetching and carrying stuff. Uh, they will get thrown into doing basic uh, tasks and they will gradually be uh, expected to do more and more. But the formal skills training component, you know, that they'll, they'll have maybe day release with BCITO colleges and so on to build the actual practical skills in terms of, you know, what technically they've got to do. But they still need day-to-day supervision with somebody, not exactly holding the hand, but not far off, in order to make it all work and make it work consistently. And that, when you're dealing with a small organisation, is extraordinarily difficult to achieve. It's not that they're sanguine. It's just that they recognise what they can and can't realistically deal with. So if you impose significant legislative requirement on them, then they'll just get to a point where they'll say, well, it's just too hard for us to take on an apprentice. And this is the classic horns of the dilemma at that point. We need more better trained people, not less. And we don't want to create an internal market where those people who do commit themselves to training get grazed on by those who don't, you know, and that's the inevitable consequence of making it too hard. So, you know, there is a very strong case to say that there needs to be more, you know, trade school type of content uh, available. Uh, where you can get folks in there. And for the future, you know, we actually need people in these trades um, going forward, and we should be investing in that future. Unfortunately, there tends to be a more of a, a hope of uh, individuals taking the initiative rather than we as a, as a society taking the initiative. What about the, the kids themselves? Are they sort of too eager to get on with the job, do you think, that they're sleeping through the inductions? Um, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I, I think there's um, there's enthusiasm. There's a great deal of willingness to get stuck in and all that sort of stuff. And there's uh, there's most certainly a, arguably a macho culture, which is uh, of, uh, yeah, no worries, we can do that. Sweet as, get stuck in. We're not necessarily all the skills are in place. As I say, the industry is, is formulated by you know, the use of tools which have a tendency to bite. And the training needs to be good from the get-go. From an initial, how do you plug it in? How do you switch it on? How do you measure? How do you cut? And how do you do all these things? Um, but unfortunately, a lot of uh, companies, they tend to use these young apprentices almost as formal labor, literally from the get-go. And that is a recipe for over-expectation, over-commitment, and 
unfortunately very negative outcomes. Well, I guess if they feel if they're paying someone from the get-go, they need to get some measure of return from them straight away. Uh, exactly, and and this uh, unfortunately is not going to go away anytime soon. Culturally, the, uh, the the industry is notorious for this. We expect a pound of flesh across the board. Uh, we expect everybody to uh, pull their weight almost as immediately as they can, and um, and unfortunately that that leads to very negative consequences as a result. Do do we need some sort of shake up so that employers recognise the sort of lack of skills in these kids? Um, well, I think objectively they do understand the lack of skills, and you know the the counter argument is one that's well, we've always approached it in this way. We've always given youngsters you know the opportunity to uh, get hands on at an early stage, le- learn the trade, and the outcomes have been uniformly pretty good. However, increasingly we're dealing with a population that are not as practical. The, very often they've not been exposed to parents using tools and things like this in the home because increasingly uh, the definition of doing it yourself is assembling a, a set of a drawers or something from the flat pack from a store that's you know that's not a high level of tool use or anything else and as a result you know inevitably um kids don't if they don't get exposed by their parents utilizing tools and kit and equipment and so on um, at an early age, it's most unlikely they're going to pick it, pick up the uh, practical skills very quickly. So, you know, we, we have to accept the fact that we're living in a in a post hands on world in which, you know, everybody and his dog might be really good at PlayStation, but aren't necessarily good at spanners, hammers, knives, and tools. You know, it's, it's, it's a different world we're living in now. It's not like the modern teenage. What are you doing this weekend? I'm putting up a retaining wall. Do it yourself? No, I'm going to get some broken. Oh, come on, mate, do it yourself. Back to Phil Parks. We work really hard with schools and with industry training organisations. So what we're trying to do is um, is work at both ends. So we work with the construction industry already about how to improve standards all across the construction industry, including training apprentices. But what we're also doing is working with schools, with colleges, with uh industry training organisations to make sure that when young people go into the workforce, they understand health and safety, they do feel confident to speak up, and if they are concerned, they know how to raise a complaint with their health and safety rep or their union. Because what we know about health and safety is it's a shared responsibility. We know the businesses have to step up and have to provide better care, but we also need the apprentices to feel confident to speak up, and they don't always do that. Well, and to be sensible too, I guess. I mean, it is a little bit of a two-way street here. Yeah, and um, there are obligations on workers to follow reasonable management directions. For example, if a business says an apprentice must wear a mask and the apprentice won't wear a mask, then we can step in and take action against the worker. But I've got to be clear, that's very few and far between. Most incidents that we investigate, the worker was acting sensibly, they were following instruction and they just weren't well looked after. What happens when you get a case where there's a very small firm, they say they can't afford the protective gear, they don't have the time to give a proper briefing, they don't really, they're not really clear on the regulations? Is that something that happens often? Well, there's a lot of small businesses in New Zealand. About 97% of the economy is, is small and medium-sized enterprises. So a lot of the industry um, businesses that we deal with are at the smaller end. And as far as we're concerned, that's no excuse. 
So if you can't afford to run a safe business where you look after your employees, then you can't afford to be in business. So um, we don't accept the fact that it couldn't be afforded or it's a small company as an excuse. Whether you have one employee, 10 employees or a thousand employees, your obligation is to look after them, train them, do a risk assessment and check that they're okay. We're, we're actively encouraging young children into trades. We're, we're advertising, we're creating more apprenticeships in New Zealand and selling it as a good career option. And of course, it can be provided they're looked after. But to encourage them into an industry and then expose them to uh, risks like brake fluid, to expose them to electrical hazards, to not give them the correct protective equipment is, is absolutely unacceptable because not only for the uh, apprentice themselves, but the impact on their broader whanau is, is just completely unacceptable. The impact goes long beyond the prosecution. So um, the, the colleagues and the friends have an ongoing impact because they've lost a workmate. The individual uh, has huge ongoing impacts in terms of their health. Uh, the whanau have ongoing impacts in terms of either losing a relative or having to adjust to a relative that's not in work anymore. And, of course, the business has an impact. It's not just the financial impact. They have a reputational impact. And we find that a lot of companies that we prosecute do go out of business. Now, that can either be a good thing because they're not harming people or it can put legitimate businesses off from starting a new business, which we don't want. So the answer to this is really clear. If you're going to run a business, put people at the centre of the business. Don't take shortcuts. Invest in your people and look after them. Not only will you be profitable, but you won't get prosecuted and you won't cause human harm to vulnerable people. Does that require a major change of attitude on our part, though, as a nation, you know, a New Zealand kind of trait? I think it does. So, so we've got statistics that New Zealand kills four times as many workers as the UK and twice as many workers as Australia. And we know that that has been adjusted for a different population size. It's been adjusted for our culture. It's been adjusted for our industry representation. So there is something broader about us as Kiwis that we, we have this she'll be right attitude, that we are willing to accept a level of harm that other countries just won't accept. And I think that does require businesses, workers, and us as WorkSafe to change the way we do work in New Zealand. The reality is that if you, you know, if you wish to have a, a fruitful career and a, a well-paid career, actually getting involved in the trades is definitely the way to go. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, particularly for the future of the building industry, we need to create the conditions whereby not only is it very clear that there is a, a, a great career outcome that's going to be uh, delivered by get, getting involved in the trades in the first instance, but in the second instance, we're, we're actually looking after and valuing the asset that is that individual and making sure that they have every opportunity to get to old age without damaging themselves as a result of the job choice. And this is this is non-negotiable. I mean, it's like every other aspect of health and safety at work. You know, we have a fundamental responsibility to ensure that our staff, firstly, have the opportunity to work and secondly, have the opportunity to go home in one piece, having done a good day's work. We can't have it where we're losing people and losing their ability to be functional in society or have it, you know, have their career or whatever it may be, just as a result of a job accident that, that could have been easily prevented by some decent training. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. 
This episode was engineered by Phil Benj. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Professor John Tukey and Phil Parks. Ka kite anō. Ka kite anō.